morning. Welcome to worship this morning. We're so glad that you have joined us for worship here at Central Baptist Church in the midst of, I guess I thought we were moving to spring, but I guess we're not now. So we're back into winter. So we're glad you're here. Nonetheless, um, you'll find uh, friendship pads on the pews beside you, and we'd invite you to take those and fill those out with any information that you'd like to provide for us. It's a way for us to get to know each other a little better and, uh, and maybe get to know each other on the pew next to you and say hello during the passing of the peace a little later in our service. We're so glad that you have joined us for worship this morning. Uh, yesterday, uh, Jake and I were in the, the, uh, the living room, and uh, we both had our computers out and were, were working away. And uh, if there's one thing I've learned after uh, several years of doing web development, it's that every once in a while you need to get up and you need to move um, because you're going to get stuck and you're going to get in a funk and uh, you got to walk around. So I, I realized I was in a funk and I got up and I, I walked over to the window and outside of our window uh, in the front room is a, is a beautiful dogwood tree. Um, and of course it's winter so there's no leaves on it yet but I was looking at this dogwood tree and I said to Jake, Jake, come here and let's contemplate this tree. Um, yeah, yeah, you know it. Uh, yeah, and so like any normal person would say, he said, what? And then I said, Jake, come, let's contemplate this tree together. We need to get away from our screens. And again, like a normal person, he said, no. <laughs> and so, uh, so I started to try to coax him and, and said, look, this beautiful, beautiful tree. Uh, you can see the places where I, I lopped it off so it would stay out of the gutters. And I hope the tree still isn't angry with me over this. And, and look at, 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 uh, at the... There's no leaves on it yet, but in a little bit, there's going to be these beautiful white buds that form, these little red pieces in the middle, and it's going to be, it's going to be gorgeous. And then he kind of slowly makes his way up and says, and look, and there's the place where I go and I sit sometimes out there in the, in, in the, in the tree. And we had a few moments in the midst of a very ordinary day um, where we could contemplate something beautiful where maybe this tree, in a sense, was transfigured before us, you know. And so today, as we think about transfiguration, um, we remember that these transfigurations can happen around us all the time in so many places, so many ordinary things. Perhaps we can find anew and afresh the light, the life, the love of God in the beauty of winter trees or in the faces of those people where we might not expect to see it and then we too can be transfigured and renewed together so welcome to worship as we are attentive to the presence of the divine among us now
Jesus taught all the people. <clears throat> if any of you want to be my followers, you must forget about yourself. You must take up your cross each day and follow me. If you want to save your life, you will destroy it. But if you give up on your life for me, you will save it. <clears throat> About eight days after this teaching, Jesus took Peter, John, and James with him and went on a mountain to pray. While he was praying, his face changed and his clothes became shining white. Suddenly Moses and Elijah were there speaking with him. They appeared in heavenly glory and talked about all that Jesus' death in Jerusalem would mean. Peter and the other two disciples had been sound asleep. All at once they woke up and saw how glorious Jesus was. They also saw the two men who were with him. Moses and Elijah were about to leave when P Peter said to Jesus, Master, it is good for us to be here. Let us make three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. But Peter did not know what he was talking about. While Peter was still speaking, a shadow from a cloud passed over them, and they were frightened as the cloud covered them. From the cloud a voice spoke, This is my chosen son. Listen to what he says. After the voice had spoken, Peter, John, and James only saw Jesus. If, if any of you, you want, want to be, to be my, my followers, followers you, you must forget about, about yourself. You, you must, must take up your cross each day and follow me. If, if you, you want, want to save your life, you will destroy it. But, but if, if you, you give up your life, life for me, you will save it. it. Please stand for the call to worship. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord our God and King. Glorious and powerful is the God of all creation. In reverent awe, we gather to worship our God. The Lord our God is King and the just judge of all things for all eternity, all people, and all places. In reverent awe, we gather to praise our the Lord our God is King and the forgiving God. Fairness and justice are the names of our God. In reverent awe, we gather to worship God within the light of God's holiness, justice, mercy, and love. Amen.
Let us pray. Come among us, living Lord. We come to hear your living word. We meet together in the name of Christ to share your mission and your sacrifice, to receive the power which only you can give that we might live. Amen. Now please pass the peace with each other. Our Hebrew scripture reading for this morning comes from Exodus chapter 34. Moses came down from Mount Sinai. As he came down from the mountain with the two tablets of the covenant in his hand, Moses did not know that the skin of his face shone because he had been talking with God. When Aaron and all the Israelites saw Moses, the skin of his face was shining, and they were afraid to come near him. But Moses called to them, And Aaron and all the leaders of the congregation returned to him, and Moses spoke with them. Afterward, all the Israelites came near, and he gave to them in commandment all that the Lord had spoken with him on Mount Sinai. When Moses had finished speaking with them, he put a veil on his face. But whenever Moses went in before the Lord to speak with him, he would take the veil off until he came out. And when he came out and told the Israelites what he had been commanded, the Israelites would see the face of Moses, that the skin of his face was shining, and Moses would put the veil on his face again until he went in to speak with him. Now our Christian witness from 2 Corinthians chapter 3. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And all of us, with unveiled faces, seeing the glory of the Lord as though reflected in a mirror, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, the Spirit. Therefore, it is by God's mercy that we are engaged in this ministry. We do not lose heart. We have renounced the shameful things that one hides. We refuse the practice to practice cunning or to falsify God's word, but by the open statement of the truth, we commend ourselves to the conscience of everyone in the sight of God. For the word of God that works its way into us. Thanks be to God.
Let's pray again, please. Dear God, our tasks are many today. The first to see your son, not just as a man who was wise and good and who taught and lived and died, but as your son, the resplendent son of God, the shining perfection of Jesus, the Christ, but then also to take that vision, that assurance, and to come back down to the plains and to the workplaces and to the tasks that are ours, but with a fresh sense that you are God, you are on the throne, and your son reigns with you, and it's in his name I pray. Amen. Please be seated.
today's gospel story, we are remembering the Mount of Transfiguration. We hope it has felt a little bit like a mini Easter. Wonderfully read by Ethan and Skye, that incredible prelude of mystery and power, this wonderful and incredibly inspiring anthem that we have heard are inching us closer to that Sunday where the sun is shining, we hope, this year in April 21st, and the pews are packed, and the joy cannot be contained. And today, in this story of that instantaneous and quick appearance of Christ to be something otherworldly, we learn how he, Jesus, took fishermen and turned them into hikers and mountain climbers. To follow him meant rising from the peaceful shore and venturing out, progressing and improving to new heights, so complete and impressive that neither they nor the, dream, the world could ever dream them possible. Jesus had a keen eye for recognizing potential. Noticing in us and in our circumstances opportunities we never thought were possible. Common laborers will be turned into the leaders of the church. The salty speech of sea workers translate into the blessed language of the redeemed. An outcast and transgressors become servants and saints. But this process does not happen overnight. It's not automatic. It takes effort and a steady, disciplined effort with each step along the way. So Jesus takes his inner circle, Peter and brothers James and John, on a private prayer retreat. Did you catch in the reading the comment about eight days in Luke 9, where this passage is beginning for us? Verse 28, we learn that it was eight days after what had happened previously, which suggests to me that this time away from the disciples and the crowd for reserved attention with Peter, James, and John, and Jesus was not just climbing up the mountain and coming right back down, but was an extended trek through the wilderness with him, culminating on the mountain, a time of escape, a time of respite, a time of new possibilities. And like Moses, Jesus will go up on the mountain to meet God. But unlike Moses, Jesus will not go alone. He will take others with him. And not just one person to be his hand-picked successor, but everybody that he chooses a select few that are chosen, that they will lead the rest. 
as they have an influence that will cascade through the centuries. If Moses brought the gift of the law to the people, then Jesus brings this gift of communal belonging and commitment. That you are not meant to make it through the spiritual journey of your life as a lone wolf, as an isolationist. Well, you can't invite everybody, though you are to love all, but there ought to be a few people that you can select in your life that you have built trust with and connection with and this ability to support one another. That yes, our families can provide that kind of small group for us, but how powerful it is when we branch out and we allow others outside of the familiar bond of family to impact our lives. One of the things I so deeply appreciate about this congregation is how well you take care of each other, particularly in the small groups that you associate with. Now, we call those Sunday school, and for those that have never been a part of that, you might think, oh, that's where you have to go and tell everybody what you know about the Bible. And there certainly is Bible discussion and learning that happens in Sunday school, but it's not a place of indoctrination in this church. It's a place of compassionate care. And so I would encourage you to be part of a small group gathering in this congregation, particularly because of the way they take such good care of each other in a smaller collection. That Jesus calls us into these little groups, these nucleuses of support and love and care. And we're going to need them throughout life. There will be times when our family will not be sufficient to take care of the needs that we will encounter. And so Jesus starts not offering an isolationist spirituality, but a communal one. And invites us to Try to be friends with everybody, but to realize you're not really going to be friends with everybody. But you can be friends with a handful. And to develop that connection and make it strong and powerful and meaningful over the course of your life. And Jesus is at this point in his preparation for his last stretch of his passing days of the earthly schedule. And what will be most important to him in addition to calling a few folks together? Well, it's to maintain a continuity with God's entire saving work from the past. Like Moses, his followers should be concerned about doing the right things. And like Elijah, the ministry of moral righteousness and justice is incomplete without an extreme concern for the poor and the stranger and those who dwell outside the group. And so it's not too surprising, just like the disciples will later find the challenge on that other mount called Olive and in the Garden of Gethsemane, that some of these deeper truths will not be so readily apparent. And in the midst of this incredible event, they will find themselves growing tired and wanting to nod off to sleep 
and becoming overwhelmed with drowsiness. And just when they finally settle down after a long day of hiking and climbing, wanting to rest, they are overwhelmed and shocked awake into attention. The face of Jesus started to beam as bright as the shining face of the great Moses during his mountaintop adventure. And Jesus' clothing become as radiant as Elijah's blazing chariot that ascended to heaven. And together, these three all-stars in the Hebrew Hall of Fame were discussing the serious business ahead for Jesus. What we learn in verse 51 and 53 of chapter 9 of his determination to go to Jerusalem and face whatever troubles may lie ahead there for him. And this core group of disciples are literally faced with the same question that I think is before us, especially in this time of preparation for Ash Wednesday and Lent and the walk toward Holy Week and Easter. This is the question that I hope you may consider with me. How does Jesus' transformation inform and impact our own transformation in his image? How might you be changed sometime between now or Ash Wednesday and the 40 days leading to Easter? Mother Teresa teaches Seek the face of God in everything, everyone, all the time. And God's hand in every happening. This is what it means to be contemplative in the heart of the world. Seeing and adoring the presence of Jesus, especially in the lowly appearance of bread and in the distressing disguise of the poor. Where might you allow your face to be seen? And where might you see the face of Christ? Where can you recognize him? For many Christians, they desire a Christ who remains up in the mountains. A Christ of elevated glory and absolute power. A Christ more content to be better than us rather than becoming one of us. A Christ who feels no pain, who experiences no struggle, and is above all suffering. I think that's the Christ Peter desires to worship in his offer to construct three altars. Let's just stay up here. It's nice. The view's great. There's nobody here bothering us. And we're here with Jesus. Why would we want to leave? Let's just stay up here. For we know everybody. And we don't feel threatened. Let's just move to the mountaintop retreat. And grow our zip code there. But Jesus says, no. 
And he leads them off of the mountain into the valley of conflicts and hostilities and overwhelming needs. And as we close out the ninth chapter of Luke, we learn that they return to a land of turbulence where children are seized with demons and those with whom you disagree become more successful than you become. And whole towns and villages reject what you have to say. Yes, Jesus will lead them to salvation. But it will include a path of difficulty and stress. And Jesus will offer to us the honesty that this spiritual task is not earned or won easily. So we'll say, yes, Jesus has authority, even commanding authority, on trying to teach us what it means to, to walk into this new way. But his authority, interestingly enough, will be freed of what we might call authoritarian characteristics. Why, do you wonder, so many people today are attracted to authoritarian leaders who are actually no more than vicious tyrants. And why does there seem to be so many of them? Turkey's Talib Erdogan, China's Xi Jinping, Russia's Vladimir Putin, the Saudi Prince Mohammed bin Salman, who I kind of think has a Madonna or a Sting or a Prince complex, wishes for a simpler title to his name, wants to be called MBS. I guess he's got a lot of towels with his embroidered initials on them, I'm not sure. And perhaps the most notorious and oppressive of them all, the megalomaniac despot of the hour, North Korea's Kim Jong-un. Well, maybe these world leaders are, I hope, like teenagers. You only hear about the few bad ones, but never the vast majority of the good ones. But they do seem to be legion. And don't all these men love to live in their protected towers and high mountains? They relish applause and adoration and will use unrestrained and raw power to crush whoever might oppose them. And most disturbingly, for us living in a democracy that I think now is hanging in the balance, why do some of our own leaders fawn all over these de facto dictators and sing their praises? Why? Why is all of this so much in our face? Well, for sincere believers in Jesus, like I think we're all striving to be, I think we are being asked to wrestle more profoundly with a question of lordship. Whose authority will command our attention and our allegiance? Have we too surrendered some of our integrity 
for the promise and protection of wealth? Have we reserved our loyalty wholeheartedly to the popular and the famous rather than to the insightful and the wise? Have we taken shortcuts to comfort rather than honoring and developing a demanding discipline of authentic spiritual and emotional growth? Have we needed to pretend that we are strong rather than honestly confessing our other vulnerabilities? Have we tried to stay busy while actually living in denial in order to distract us from the real troubles of the world? The steady path of Lent leads us over the rough mountains and through the narrow valleys. It guides us around scary cliffs and through dark shadows. It sometimes feels that it is endured alone, but often is traveled with a select group of trusted friends. Friends who may not always get it, but at least find themselves sticking together when times get tough. This path invites us to accept pain and not turn our heads away from suffering. You may tell us to pick up our pace, but it's just as likely to ask us to slow down and to stop and to take our rest and to notice the yet to bloom cherry blossom tree in our front yard. And if and when we fall or get hurt, become rejected or feel down or not able to join into the parade of the suffering, we remember Jesus, who abandoned his claim of all wealth and status and the fickle applause of the crowds to walk a humble and courageous path that brings us true liberation genuine justice, and lasting peace. This Wednesday, we begin the Lenten journey. And we lay out the familiar question. What are you going to give up for Lent? Have you considered that yet, or do you ever? Maybe it's a bad habit that needs to be let go of, or an old wound Maybe it's time to rid yourself of a grudge that you have nursed for far too long. Maybe you need to forgive someone else before you can experience forgiveness for yourself. Maybe you need to focus on something very direct and tangible. And you can use the 40 days of Lent to get rid of and give away some of the clutter of belongings you never use or at least bring a level of organization to their storage and use. Believe me, Marie Kondo is not a stranger in our home. If you don't know who that is, you might look it up. How will you respond kindly to this invitation from Jesus, who will walk with us day by day especially in this season dedicated to his life and teachings, by asking us to set our faces toward Jerusalem, whatever that trouble is, whatever that scary 
boogeyman in the closet. Whatever that door that you refuse to open because you're afraid of what dwells underneath, whatever that weight that holds you back, whatever that nagging fear and anxiety that won't allow you to skip ahead freely, whatever it is, move through its sorrow and allow Christ to lift you up before you celebrate the joy of resurrection. That you might see his face and you might recognize him as your companion, as your guide, as your help, as your savior. And then that you too might see his face recognized in the presence of the vulnerable and the forgotten and the lonely and the despondent. There are people living in oppression of all many types, of all many calculations. People that have lost hope and purpose. And perhaps you too are one of their number. Overwhelmed by this world. Overcome by its troubles and feeling that it's so difficult to try to live a faithful life. You'll notice in today's bulletin our themes for Lent. We're going to be borrowing from the wonderful work of B'nai Brown, particularly her book, The Gifts of Imperfection. You'll notice that not only are we suggesting you might be able to give up something for Lent, but you might be able to add something in the place of what you have lost. And so the theme is cultivating and letting go. That you might get rid of some stuff that is of no value and begin to add stuff that is of eternal value. So you'll notice, for instance, next Sunday, we're going to be talking about getting rid of perfectionism or the desire to appear always perfect so that you might experience and receive a greater understanding and practice of compassion, especially self-compassion. Guess who the hardest person in this room is on you? It's not the preacher. It's you. Or the voices that you play over and over and over again from your past or your present. Can you let go of that negative, desperate, and defeating conversation? We're going to be talking about how to do that, hopefully, piece by piece, bit by bit, step by step, as we work together, as we band together, as we recognize we are all in this same journey as one. I ask that God will bless our journey, that we might let go of anything that does not spark joy in our life. As we come down from our mountains and enter into the promise and true abundance of the eternal joy, waiting for the disciplined and the faithful. Will you take this journey over the next 40 days?
it truly can be life-changing. I ask that you'll ponder those truths and that invitation now as we close our service and as we seek our salvation from God alone by standing and singing this wonderful hymn, 841, God is my strong salvation. Let us stand and respond. I am so thankful that you uh, chose to be with us this morning. Um, is this kind of working? I'm not sure. Okay, I'm, I'm on or I'm not on? I'm not on. Okay, this is it. Okay. Does this work? All right, thank you. Um, <laughs> During the sermon, uh, probably you noticed, maybe you didn't, um, I had, uh, this is the problem of preaching from an iPad. I had a message from my 30-year-old son, Kyle, who lives in Indianapolis, and he was uh, visiting my mother, and he wanted to know her address at the Lafayette. <laughs> so I, I, I hope he found that out. I didn't respond. Um, but I was going to tell you all just to wait uh, until that got taken care of. Uh, but I really do appreciate you being here this morning. It's not a great weather day out there, and you never know what's going to happen on a Sunday morning when it decides to start sleeting, and I don't think anything else uh, as the morning unfolds. But thank you for your dedication and your presence here today. I, I greatly appreciate it. Um, also, we are having an opportunity after service for lunch and to learn a little bit more about our church and there's extra food. If you did not sign up, you're welcome to stay. And we'll be doing that very shortly down the uh, hallway that goes 
toward Wilson Downing, um, past the restrooms, there's a room called the meeting room, and you can find it, it's just real quick, go out this way, take a left and you'll see us, but there's sandwiches, chips, cookies, drink, and uh, we'll get right away with the presentation of the history of our church and some of our uh, missions and ministries here, um, and then let you be on your way as you ask questions and find out more about this place. So that's happening today, immediately after the service. Also, uh, this week is different with Ash Wednesday. Uh, we are having a pancake uh, gathering for Shrove Tuesday, which oftentimes is known as Mardi Gras. And that will be from 5.30 to 7 this coming Tuesday for Pancake Supper. Um, yeah, we're a Baptist church still. We will feed you. And so you're welcome to come for that and also to return the next night for the Ash Wednesday service at 6 p.m. And the Ash Wednesday service, because of the Tuesday food gathering, will not have the regular Wednesday night meal. But we will have a service where we will impose ashes and recognize and remember Christ's gift of life and love for us as we prepare ourselves as God's people moving through the season of Lent. So that's this Wednesday. That takes place at 6 p.m. Now, is there anything else I was supposed to say? Let me look. Okay. Charles, are you listening to me? Anything else I need to say? Okay, I'm good to go. Okay. Not only am I good to go, so are you. So would you bow now for the benediction as we offer the Lord's blessings as we depart from this place? Come down from the mountain with mountain-like faith. Walk on God's paths as bright, shining lights. Live in God's ways with faith, hope, and love, especially for the poor and the vulnerable. Go into the world transformed and renewed. Amen. Amen.